Good morning, afternoon, or evening to everyone. My name is Frank Place, and I am the director of the Policies, Institutions, and Markets CGIR Research Program. I am pleased to welcome you to today's webinar on Agricultural Extension and Rural Advisory Services from Research to Action. As background, I have actually participated in several webinars and meetings related to Extension and Rural Advisory Services, and I can remember finally attending the Global Forum for Rural Advisory Services meetings in Limbe, Cameroon a few years ago as well with Kristen and many other people who are on the call today. I guess that shows just how active the researchers in PIM are in sharing the findings and discussing recommendations with partners. It also shows my interest in the topic and I'm very proud that PIM has been a hub for such an impressive body of research on extension. The research expands, uh, spans important topics such as pluralistic extension systems and within that the effectiveness of public extension, motivation incentives uh, for extensionists and how to improve that, the role of the private sector in, in, in extension, then the potential for farmer trainers and youth in extension. Uh, it also covers the effectiveness of specific extension approaches, methods and tools, how to reach women through extension approaches, critical gap capacity gaps in agriculture knowledge, and how to assess the performance of extension, among others. This research included rigorous quantitative uh, tests, as well as in-depth qualitative research. It spanned countries from around the world. Importantly, it led to practical actions on the part of governments, extension systems included, NGOs, and funders. So today you will only hear about a portion of the rich breadth of research undertaken in the past decade, but it will certainly provide a good representation of the work. And I hope it will encourage you to read the synthesis brief and the infographic that the team of Kristen Davis and Simran Makija and David Spielman has produced. And our moderator today is in fact, one of those team members, Simran Makija, who is program manager of the environment and production technology division at IFPRI. And interestingly enough, she and I started on the very same day at IFPRI back in 2014. <laughs> um, before handing it over to Simran, let me mention how our webinar will work. The Q&A will be at the end of the program after all of the speakers. Throughout the, th throughout the presentations, I encourage you to type in your questions in the chat window on the right side of your screen. Please type in your name and organization along with your questions. We will then compile them and try to organize them by uh, theme if possible before posing them to the speakers. And lastly, we are recording the webinar and will make it available on the PIM website shortly after the event. So with that introduction, I will hand it over to the moderator, to you, Simran. Thanks, Frank. Today I'm going to present an infographic, as Frank mentioned, that summarizes the findings from PIM-funded research on agricultural extension over the last 10 or so years. At the outset, I'd like to thank our IFPRI colleagues in CPA for making this infographic possible. Agricultural extension has the potential to improve farmer productivity and agricultural practices. However, lack of capacity and performance of extension in lower and middle-income countries is an ongoing concern. Research on extension has been an integral part of PIM since its inception. Kristen Davis, David Spielman, and myself put together this brief and interactive graphic synthesizing key findings from PIM research on extension from 2012 to 2021, presenting lessons learned and a vision for the future of extension. We organized our findings by extension characteristics laid out in the best fit framework developed by Berner and colleagues 
and later adapted by Davis and Spielman. Specifically, we look at four characteristics of extension, governance structures and funding, organizational and management capacities, and cultures, methods, and community engagement. Looking at governance structures and funding, there are four salient findings. First, in Ethiopia, Kosik and Moges found that decentralization improved access to extension, as well as other agricultural services for both men and women. However, men saw a greater improvement in access than women did, meaning that decentralization increased the gender gap. In Ghana, Resnick found that devolution of extension the transfer of planning, management, and co-financing to local authorities also had both positive and negative effects. Specifically, devolution enhanced accountability of the local extension services, but undermined their provision. Danielle will talk more about the findings from the study in her lightning talk. FIM research has also gone beyond public provision, and different studies point to the value of private extension provision and the need to ensure institutionalization and sustainability of these approaches. Reforming extension financing is a perennial challenge. Between 2015 and 2018, less than 3% of global development finance was spent on human capital investment in the form of agricultural training, education, or extension. However, evidence shows that extension investments can yield high returns, especially when coupled with other investments. Highlighting these returns is critical to making the case for continued public spending on extension. Moving to organizational and management capacity. BIM-funded research has shown that engendering real change in rural livelihoods requires that capacity investments go beyond simple transfer of technical skills to include complementary functional and business skills and focus on empowerment and inclusion. Additionally, a study in Malawi finds that in the case of complex technologies, more intensive training of lead farmers and follow-ups and continued mentoring of by extension agents of both lead and other farmers are necessary. Thus, for individual extension staff, continually updating skills and knowledge is critical. In Ethiopia, education opportunities attracted and retained women and men to extension. Availability of things like housing, electricity, and transport attracted women more than financial incentives. It is thus important to consider differing priorities of men and women staff when designing incentives in the case of extension. Here in this graphic, we also show some skills for future extension. This graphic comes from uh, the Alliance of Biodiversity and SEAT. So some of the skills for future extension as laid out here are social communication, digital literacy, facilitation of interactions, business and marketing, gender and youth inclusion approaches, to support farmers to select innovations, multi-channel communication fluency, community mobilization, farmer group development, and adult education and learning.
Next, we look at methods. There are a wide array of methods to providing extension services. Using local farmers as a voluntary extension staff is thought to reach greater numbers of farmers, be cost-effective, enhance sustainability, and engender trust because the volunteers are community members with a common language and culture. Research has shown that volunteer farmer trainers can be highly effective, training up to 20 farmers per month on average in a dairy program in East Africa. A study by Ragasa notes that lead farmers were more effective in communities involved in projects and programs that provide them with intensive training and incentives and in communities where they are supported by active extension agents and local leaders. A study in Ethiopia by Abate et al. found that video-mediated extension had wider reach than the conventional extension approach and led to more knowledge and uptake of promoted agricultural technologies. In Uganda, Van Kampenhout et al. found that video had a positive impact on knowledge, adoption of inputs and practices, as well as yields. However, IVR and SMS had no significant impacts in comparison to video. Lastly, we look at community engagement. Engaging all community members, including women, youth, and other disadvantaged people is critical for increasing the impact of extension services. Numerous studies have shown that women lack access to extension services and thus miss out on information that can lead to uptake of new technologies. At the household level, researchers have shown that it is important to provide information to all household members rather than just the household head, who is often a man. Some advocate that technology adoption research and outreach should target both women and men. Bekutre and colleagues found in Uganda that extension programs targeting agricultural information to both men and women had positive effects on women's outcomes. Els will present more on this in her lightning talk. Game-based facilitation tools can also increase inclusion of youth and less educated and women. Young people can be engaged in agricultural extension, not only as recipients, but also as providers of services. Franzel and colleagues found that youth running private extension initiatives lacked skills or strategies to effectively deal with other actors in the value chain. To better engage youth in agriculture, extension should provide agricultural entrepreneurial training and support in enabling environment. However, extension staff often lack capacity in business and entrepreneurship topics. Babu and colleagues note that the promotion of youth entrepreneurship requires not just training, but also strategic investment in creating an enabling environment through effective policies and multi-stakeholder coordination and institutional support to ensure the holistic support that is needed. More on this in Suresh's lightning talk later. Looking to the future, Sustainable and inclusive food systems will require not only greater food production and investment in meeting nutritional, food safety, and other consumer needs, but also improved practices, such as resource conservation, ethical commitments, and environmental sustainability, all while maintaining economic viability. These goals can only be achieved by equipping food systems actors to acquire and share 
innovative technologies, knowledge, attitudes, and skills. Agricultural extension and advisory services will undoubtedly continue to play a key role in these processes. Several PIM events have discussed a future vision of extension. Drawing on empirical evidence, coupled with practitioner experience. The key takeaways from these discussions and research are highlighted here. To secure funding, extension proponents must communicate a strong value proposition backed by better monitoring, evaluation, and learning systems. Future extension systems should use multifunctional approaches, allowing staff to educate farmers, broker relationships, link to producers and link producers to markets, and sell products and services. Extension will rely more on digital tools in the future, but should continue with traditional methods as well. Consideration of intersectionality, such as gender, age, and other socioeconomic attributes of individuals and communities is important to reach clientele. Knowledge, skills, and attitudes for the future include digital literacy and empathy towards clientele. Extension must continuously adapt extension governance structures, and funding, organizational and management capacities and cultures, methods, and community engagement. This last graphic here is also taken from Alliance for Biodiversity and SEAT and highlights some attitudes for future extension, such as broad vision of agri-food systems, collaborative spirit, inclusivity, empathy, entrepreneurial spirit, multitasking, and openness to learn. As I mentioned at the beginning, this infographic was put together by IFPRI's communications team and links right to the brief that it is based on. Thank you so much. And before, without further ado, let's move on to our lightning talks. Today we have five lightning talks and five speakers. We have Daniel Resnick talking about governance, Suresh Babu on capacity, Daniel Jimenez on digital approaches, Maywish Maradia on farmer-led approaches, and Els Lekutere on reaching women. We'll start with Daniel Resnick. Daniel is a David M. Rubenstein Fellow for Global Economy and Development at the Brookings Institute, as well as, as, well as a visiting fellow at IFPRI. Okay, thanks so much, Simran. I appreciate the introduction. Yeah, I'm going to talk just briefly about one type of governance reform and its implication for agricultural extension services. And in particular, I'm focusing on devolution, which is considered the most comprehensive form of decentralization. It's effectively when central government authorities transfer responsibilities to subnationally elected rather than appointed authorities. And typically, um, it's supposed to promise greater accountability that local citizens can have greater accountability over local politicians, much more so than they can have central government politicians. And also that because local politicians have greater proximity to their constituents, that they can better provide a mix of goods and services that um, cohere to the priorities of their local citizens. But on the other hand, and many other people who are on the citizens typically uh, do not prioritize low visibility public goods. They prefer things that they can see that have an impact that they can see over a short period of time. 
So you can think about building roads, street lighting, building schools, hospitals, input subsidies. These are tangible items that people can see very quickly in the short term. On the other hand, ag extension is seen as kind of a quintessential low visibility public good, along with food fortification, or teacher training. The idea is that because ag extension is essentially a non-tangible item, it's knowledge, um, it's hard for uh, constituents to see. And at the same time, the impact that it has can be influenced by many other factors. So it's hard to provide attribution um, for the impact of ag extension. So you can think about uh, the role that economic shocks, weather conditions, um, even you know, improper implementation can have on the effectiveness of ag extension advice. And so uh, the findings that I'm going to talk about in a minute show that um, when you have citizens that deprioritize uh, ag extension because it is a low visibility public good, local politicians are less likely to prioritize this in the budget process because they're concerned with re-election concerns, and in turn, there's not enough funding for ag extension services. So we look at this in the case of Ghana, which in 2009 adopted the Local Government Instrument Act, effectively transferring the country from a deconcentrated form of decentralization to a devolved form. So previously, the Ministry of Agriculture had offices in all of the country's district assemblies. Um, the staff, the, the agricultural staff in those assemblies were accountable to the central government line ministry, to the Ministry of Agriculture. That's where they would get their marching orders from. They got their budget uh, transfers from the line ministry. But with the Local Government Instrument Act, um, there was a reform so that now local government uh, ag staff were accountable to the district assembly staff, to the mayors and the local politicians. And they got their funding from the district assemblies or from the Ministry of Finance directly rather than through the agricultural line ministry. Um, and this, this reform was effectively implemented in 2012. So we looked at the impact of this using a variety of different data sources. One was implementing our own survey with about a thousand households. We also interviewed 80 district directors of agriculture. And you can see on the right-hand side of the screen, those districts that are highlighted in orange are all the ones where we interviewed the uh, district directors. And those with the hatching on top of them are also the ones that we complemented with the household surveys. In addition, we used a very detailed district level budget data that the Ministry of Finance publishes each year. Um, we looked at this data from 2012 uh, when it was published right before the reform uh, and looked at it for the subsequent five years thereafter. What we found was that citizens um, noted in the survey that they very much like the ability to hold their local politicians accountable. They like the ability to sanction or reward uh, their local councillors when they perform or if they don't perform. Um, but they noted in a variety of different policy preference vignettes that we have that when looking at what their preferences would be for the use of their money, um, more than a third favor public works projects um, and about 22% preferred healthcare projects. Only 2% said they would like their money to be spent on agricultural extension. In addition, when we interviewed the district directors of agriculture, they noted that since the devolution reform, it had been very difficult to convince their other district assembly colleagues about the importance of extension in the, in the yearly budgeting process, and that many had witnessed uh, a decline in ag extension staff since the reform. 
And this was also reflected in the district budget data that we had. We found that median ag expenditures fell by more than a third across all districts in the five years after reforms, while those for public works, which was another devolved um, sector, increased by 24% during the same time period. So in addition, we found that agricultural expenditures per agricultural household uh, fell from 59 Ghanaian CDs to 37 Ghanaian CDs during that same period. And so effectively what this shows is that when you've had a reform that provides greater accountability, um, it also can lead to a deprioritization of those areas that are not considered as high value by local citizens. I think this has a number of policy implications in a number of the countries we work in because because of variety of constitutional reforms recently, devolution is being embraced more and more as the ideal form of government. Uh, we saw this in Kenya in 2010 with their devolution campaign. Now the 47 counties have um, effective autonomy over ag extension. Nepal in 2015 switched from a unitary to a federal state and now local authorities are in charge of extension. Uh, other examples in Zambia and Zimbabwe that also recently had constitutional reforms. And ag extension is, is typically decentralized because it fits nicely with the criteria of subsidiarity, where it it's, can be conceived as a most effectively delivered at the local level because it needs to um, be conscientious of agroecological conditions. But our work really shows that there's a tension here uh, between meeting democratic uh, local democracy objectives and supporting budget priorities that are seen as very much key for agricultural transformation. So I'll leave it there and turn back to Simone. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Danielle. Um, next, we move to Suresh Babu, who's going to talk a little bit about capacity strengthening. Suresh is a senior research fellow and the head of capacity strengthening at IFPRI. Suresh, over to you. Thank you. Um, let me talk about uh, the youth and entrepreneurship that uh, Simran talked about at the end of her presentation, how we can harness the um, growing youth population, which is a challenge uh, to employ them and engage them in the rural areas particularly, but also uh, how this provides an opportunity for engaging them in entrepreneurial activity related to agriculture and extension, but that requires uh, uh, a set of strategies from the national level and institutional kind of uh, modification to engage them, creating business ecosystems and uh, and also strengthening the capacity of the youth themselves. But then the broad uh, uh, case studies that we have been doing in, in different countries, particularly Nigeria, Bangladesh and India, they show uh, three major things. One, um, the youth uh, who are in the rural areas would like to be connected to urban environment and uh, they don't want to stay in the rural areas but if they want to stay in the if they uh, are in the rural areas they want somehow to be connected to that urban environment and they would like to be engaged in some form of entrepreneurship or business activity they don't actually really interested in getting the plow and, and digging the soil in agriculture so, so that's that's another constraint and and probably an opportunity but then they are also connected to the technology, um, the mobile technology, ICT technology. They are excited about using the technology uh, and so on. So how do we combine all this and extension the opportunity in the context of extension, in the context of uh, bringing them to entrepreneurial kind of uh, uh, environment as well as uh, the agribusiness and agricultural extension 
um, as an effective pathway for them to be included in the development process on the one hand but also for them to come out of poverty and food insecurity and so on so that this this uh, uh, case studies that we conducted uh, show that the growing opportunities particularly in the digital world ict uh, uh, world uh, and also connecting the rural urban linkages with increasing transportation and, and communication um, uh, provides us an opportunity for involving youth in the extension related activities such as for example farming aggregating uh, the farmers uh, uh, farmer producer organizations or aggregating the inputs so that they can supply inputs to the rural areas or even coming up with the cooperatives where they can form a processing sector for for um, uh, one good example in india is say coconut processing uh, for exporting to the middle east for example it's really happening through the youth engagement and, and youth uh, training the major uh, challenge however with with this approach is that if you look at the graduates uh, who have gone to college and have a degree for example they really don't want to come to entrepreneurial side they really want to uh, go for a job the salaried job the people and and they have skills uh, business skills communication skills and so on on the other hand people who are dropouts from schools who are hanging around in rural areas without jobs they don't have the skills but they would like to be engaged in business and and the technology and and so on so how do we kind of match these two groups and how do we strengthen these groups to to work together is a challenge youth engagement opportunities but and important topics such as pluralist markets are increasing and how combining that with digital extension can um, can be beneficial but what do we need we need to think about what are the capacity needs of this emerging youth population for them to engage not only in technical agriculture but also the business orientation people skills negotiating skills facilitation skills all the skills that simran talked about in terms of what an extension worker or a, or a, or a community participating youth needs and also creating an entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem that fosters transparency and accountability and takes youth into consideration when um, for community planning and and, and decision making purpose also for program program development and um, implementation at the local levels and in that process multi-stakeholder multi engagement is very 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 important let me stop here simran thank you thank you so much suresh next we have daniel jimenez presenting on digital approaches daniel is a scientist with the alliance of biodiversity international and fiat over to you daniel uh, hi everyone um, and thank you Simri, for the introduction uh, i'm daniel jimenez agronomist by training and one of the cgir scientists working on on digital agriculture for more for more than a decade now and i've been leading the community of practice on data driven agronomy for the last uh, four years so in order to talk about the use of digital approaches to enhance uh, extensions performance i'll start by first naming some of the opportunities then move to the challenges and then finally move to the lessons learned uh, the effectiveness of public extension so first there's a huge paradigm shift in the way how we used to perform extension right i mean and by that i mean that the tools that we count on, on that we count on nowadays to collect analyze and disseminate information could be considered science fiction for many extension officers and and i'll give you some examples of that like first in terms of data delivery and dissemination who would have imagined that today we cannot only reach thousands of farmers through radio tv sms uh, i interactive voice response uh, chatbots 
but also meet farmer socioeconomic context by combining those tools with the principles of human-centered design and therefore reach communities with different levels of literacy or even internet access. The second has to do with the way of, for, for instance, identifying weeds, pests, disease, nutrient deficiencies, for example. I'm sure that many extension agents have been challenged when, when it came to distinguish between a nutrient deficiency and a fungal disease, right? It happened to me in more than, than, than one occasion. Or even to determine what is the right pest, the right weed, the right disease to come up with the right recommendation. And third, um, information like previous crop, um, planting dates, uh, the feed areas, the exact moment of an outbreak of a pest and disease. Those are questions constantly asked uh, in surveys that are conducted by extension agents. And it's not a secret that those questions could be more accurate as well if you use technologies like remote sensing, drones, IoT, um, which can provide us with more, much, much more accurate uh, responses. And that's, that's been, to me, certainly revolutionary and the use of such of those tools sounds pretty sexy, but uh, which I, what what I consider is more relevant more relevant is how to make sense of such data. That is to me the main game changer on this, the analytic side of it. After all, what we want to do is turn such data into something actionable, timely, context specific, and more accurate advice. Now, thinking about the challenges which are not very different from the findings shared by, by the PIM program regarding to the best fit extension characteristics and something that uh, Simbrin walked us through uh, at the beginning of this webinar. And, but, but one of the challenges that kind of worries me, and it, it has to do with, with, the last, uh, with the last point that was touched by Sarush, uh, which is uh, the limited knowledge of extension agents to analyze data, right? Because the, the extension officer cannot, if they cannot interpret the data, uh, there's no way that we can leverage on the opportunities of the digital tools and that I mentioned previously. The second, which was also something that was touched by Saruj, Saruj and was the main, the main focus of, of his intervention, is about the entrepreneurial and business skill for extension in youth uh, and youth uh, entrepreneurs in the digital ecosystem. The focus of extension programs, the spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit of extension agents, which is not very common and will certainly add value to the to do extension programs or the skills of the extension officers. And um, in terms of lessons learned, one probably more technical is this lack of exchange platforms and protocols. In an extension, then the petition out there about what technology works best in a particular region, in a, in a specific period of time. But that information is reminding books, brochures, videos, doesn't meet the principles of fair data. By fair data, we say that FAIR stands for information that should be findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And that is information that usually is, is very is very difficult to even to find, to get. So we cannot talk, not, not even to, you know, how can we access the data? How could we make it interoperable? I think that that's one of the lessons learned and something that we should together work on. And another lesson, less technical, is more like a, probably a, a yeah. philosophical. <laughs> and, and it's also the way how we, probably have to change the mindset and, and, and how to foster an enabling environment with partnerships so extension programs can be supported to deliver innovations but using the lens of equality and inclusion. And just a final comment uh, is that, I mean, 
we, and I always say that in, in the different webinars talking about digital extension is that using digital approaches is not a replacement of the extension programs or, or agents. It can be regarded more like a complementary solution for making extension more accurate, timely, and context specific. That's all on my end in five minutes. Thank you. Up next, we have Mywish Meridia presenting on farmer led approaches. Mywish is a professor at the Department of Agricultural, Food, and Resource Economics at Michigan State University. Uh, over to you, Mywish. Thank you. Thank you, Simran. Um, so as, in, as Timran mentioned in the introduction, uh, there are many methods for providing the last mile service for ex of extending innovations to farmers. A method that I'm going to focus um, now is the extension uh, con conducted by using local farmers as voluntary extension staff. This is also referred as lead farmer approach. So the idea here is to train a progressive, well-respected member of the community on focused innovations, provide this lead farmer with knowledge, tools, materials, to then extend those innovations to hundreds of other farmers in the community. This sort of train the trainer's method of extension is thought to be cost-effective uh, in reaching more numbers of farmers, more sustainable, and also, you know, uh, most of all, it creates trust uh, because the volunteers are part of the community and have a build up social capital. Uh, so question uh, that we all always raise is, uh, are these farmer led approaches to extension effective? Um, and over the years, PIM and others have supported uh, research to address this question. And the evidence is mixed. Uh, for example, research by Kip Todd, Franzel, and others in East Africa has shown that lead farmers can be highly effective. And I think Simran mentioned the statistics. They found that each lead farmer on average reached 20 other farmers. But a study in Malawi by Ragasa found that lead farmers were effective in reaching only 13% uh, of farmers. Uh, and then beyond the issue of reach, an important question in terms of effectiveness is whether this reach translates into adoption of practices. Uh, in this context, uh, uh, I'm going to highlight the research we have done in Tanzania, uh, where we studied the lead farmer extension program implemented by an NGO called Farm Input Promotions Africa or FIPS Africa. Uh, FIPS Africa uh, used a network of lead farmers called village-based agro-advisors uh, to provide extension services through demonstration plots. In collaboration with PIPS Africa, some researchers from uh, MSU and SEAT um, had planned an RCT to assess the effectiveness of adding a free uh, small trial packs uh, to the demonstration plots. So we piggybacked on that already planned uh, RCT and conducted uh, studies to investigate two things. Uh, one, whether and to what extent lead farmer extension activities affect farmers' potential demand uh, as reflected in their willingness to pay for improved bean technologies that were promoted by lead farmers. And second, within the two approaches that were used by lead farmers, one through a demonstration plot and the other through a more costly approach of distributing um, small trial packs, uh, which one was more effective? Um, for the potential demand study, we included farmers from non-RCT villages uh, that had not received any lead farmer interventions. And our hypothesis was that the increased understanding of the new technology through lead farmer 
conducted demonstrations and trial pack uh, distribution um, would have a positive effect on farmers' willingness to pay for those products. However, we found no difference in farmers' willingness to pay for improved bean technologies in villages that were promoted by lead in in those villages where you know those technologies were promoted by lead farmers, and in villages where they were not promoted or such promotion did not occur. Uh, and in the adoption study, uh, uh, we've also found limited evidence that providing additional extension resources to lead farmers in the form of trial packs increase the adoption of the improved bean varieties. Uh, what our study suggests is that on average, the demonstration plot alone provided enough of a meaningful signal uh, to the farmers to kickstart uh, diffusion. Uh, we also find evidence of heterogeneous farmer personality trait effects. For example, we found that extroverted farmers residing in those trial pack villages were more likely to adopt one of the promoted improved varieties. Uh, because farmer-led extension programs are inherently social um, and rely on these informal connections uh, between farmers to facilitate information flows, um, these findings have important implications for the design of such extension programs and warrant future research. Um, three years after this RCT was uh, implemented, we revisited our study villages this year um, and found that FIPS Africa had exited in, uh, from Tanzania and the lead farmers were no more active in promoting uh, technologies. So this sort of raises serious concerns about uh, sustainability. So three takeaways um, I would like to highlight based on our limited research are first, farmer-led approaches to extension um, can exhibit variation in effectiveness. Um, second, there is significant room for learning and improvement. And third, the sustainability of lead farmer method is as strong as the link between the lead farmer and the public or private entity that is supporting that farmer. Uh, so, so that was my short presentation on this topic, Simran. Of Thank you, Mayavish. Um, lastly, we have Els Lekutev presenting on reaching women. Els is a science officer for the CGIAR gender platform. Over to you, Els. Thank you, Simran. Can you already click, please? Um, so information and communications technology, ICT, offer opportunities for revitalizing agriculture extension information services, and maybe also for efficiently reaching larger number of farmers in low and middle income countries. Not all ICT enabled extension approaches are equally effective in achieving desired outcomes like increased knowledge, higher rates of adoption, better yields, and eventually um, better incomes and uh, improved welfare. And besides, ICT enabled extension approaches are not necessarily equally effective for all farmers. For women farmers, for instance, um, like a first hurdle is ICT access, but the second hurdle um, is a content or a format of the ICT-enabled extension that is ill adapted to women's challenges and preferences with regard to access, use, or usefulness of the agronomic information. 
but rigorous evidence of ICT-enabled extension to address, uh, that second hurdle is limited. Now, some uh, of the constraints to women's participation in uh, an agency and benefits from agriculture are related to an information disadvantage that women have with regard to extension information, and also women's role as agriculture producers is rarely recognized. Click, please. So what we did um, is we conducted a field experiment among maize farming households in Southeast Uganda, where maize is both a food crop and a cash crop. And we used 10 minutes tablet-based videos where active farmers demonstrate recommended maize farming practices in an aspirational story. This research we tested if women's knowledge, decision-making, adoption of practices and inputs and yields on the plots that they manage benefited from giving women direct access to extension information, reducing the information asymmetry between male and female decision makers in the household, and also by including women farmer as messengers of the extension information, whereby this woman could function as a role model of a successful female farmer. Click please. Um, to test the effect of women as messengers of extension information, we made three versions of the video. One version had a female actor who demonstrated the practices and who could be seen as a role model farmer. This is at the um, right of the slide here. Then in another version, both a male and female actor farmer who project a role model of a couple farming uh, together. And then households who were shown the version of the video with only a male actor served as a control group. On the left, to test the effect of women as recipients of extension information, we either show the video only to the female co-head, whereby she was given direct access to the information and given an informational advantage, or we showed the video to the couple of male and female co-heads together, whereby we reduced the information asymmetry. And here again, the households where only the male co-head was shown the video served as a control group. Click please. And what we found is that providing only women with video-based extension information versus a man increased women's knowledge, women's unilateral decision-making and adoption, and also yields on the plots that they managed. It reduced men's knowledge, so women did not pass that information to their husbands, and it reduced men's unilateral decision-making about these base farming practices. Providing couples with video-based extension information versus only a man increased women's knowledge. It increased jointly decided adoption of practices and inputs, and it reduced men's unilateral decision-making. Click, please. Then effects of including a woman as a messenger and a role model in our extension videos versus eh, this male actor, and whether this was alone or a female and male actor together, these effects are limited, but it reduced man's unilateral decision-making. Decision so this likely provided an opportunity for greater involvement of women uh, in decision-making about maize. Click, please. So what did we learn that is relevant to enhance extension performance? So in a related study, it was shown that these ICT-enabled extension videos increased knowledge, adoption of inputs and practices, and increased maize yields by over 
And in this study, we demonstrated that giving women direct access to extension information is effective to increase women's empowerment in maize farming in Uganda. Um, in terms of what are the potential, what is the potential for upscaling such videos? So this was tested in collaboration with Digital Green. They are uh, active in a lot of areas promoting the use of technology uh, for farmer empowerment. In Uganda specifically, there's an interest in digital extension by the Directorate of Extension in the Ministry of Agriculture. And also uh, recently, the, um, uh, the India in National Institute of Agriculture Extension Management showed uh, keen interest in the results of this um, study. So I'll end here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Elz. Um, at this point, I welcome all our audience members to submit questions in the chat box. You're welcome to keep submitting questions through the Q&A section. I also invite all our panelists to join us for the Q&A. Great. And as we wait for the rest of our panelists to come on, um, just to answer one of the questions from the audience on whether the slides will be provided after the webinar, yes, all slides will be provided the recording will also be available on the PIM website shortly after the event. Please check the event page, the same one that you visited to register for the webinar. Uh, all registrants will also receive a follow-up email with all the links. In addition to the recording and the slides, we'll also share the link to the infographic as well as to the policy brief. Great. Thank you so much to all our panelists for those really interesting presentations. We'll move on to some questions now. The first question we have is for Suresh. Um, Actions on the part of governments. More involved as agri-extension entrepreneurs, is there much startup capital needed? And where could that come from? Yeah, of course, that's capital uh, is a major issue. Um, and, and particularly when the youth do not have credibility and when they do not have education and skills uh, they cannot go to formal uh, uh, extension systems included courses like uh, banks commercial banks so they depend on mostly their parents if they and then parents also do not really trust them because they are young and and, and so on it's a major constraint so that's why we talk about the business environment it's like a for example, in a community or in a, in a district level, if we can work with the Chamber of Commerce uh, in that area to bring the agribusiness people to come together and then engage the youth by giving them not only just skills, but also the needed capital, then we have NGOs and funders initiating this entrepreneurial kind of uh, engagement with youth. So that's a major constraint, uh, definitely. Uh, but we need to kind of uh, bring that as a policy uh, providing credit for youth on the one hand. Nigeria is doing that uh, to some extent through the um, uh, Nigerian uh, National Nigeria Bank. And also uh, we need to bring the credit institutions at the local level to provide that social responsibility for youth kind of programs. That's, that's still not even being thought of. Uh, so that needs a lot of policy, institutional and community level engagement. That's why we talked about multi-stakeholder you know, consultations and creating business environments at the local level. Thank you, Suresh. Um, the next one isn't a question, but it's a comment from Steve Frenzel. Um, Steve actually has participated in a lot of extension research with them. 
Um, Steve mentions that there has been, and this is uh, a response to Dr. Meridia's presentation, there is PIM-financed uh, impact evaluation using an RCT in Uganda that found that villages with volunteer farmer trainers had higher adoption and milk yields than villages without farmer trainers. Two other interventions, signposts at home and uh, lineages with extension staff, further increased milk yields. Undertaken in the past decade, but it was... And Franzel found that three years after the end of a project supporting volunteer farmer trainers, they were still active in training farmers because they were embedded in farmer organizations which were supporting them. It's really good to hear that there is some positive evidence coming out of some of these studies. Um, my wish if you have any further comments on that. Um, uh, no, no, as I said, there are mixed results, which means there are positive things as well as uh, some uh, less than desirable uh, outcomes. We provide a good representation of the examples of some of the studies that shed light on uh, the positive aspects of the lead farmer. And uh, uh, I, I agree um, uh, with uh, what Steve has uh, you know, cited as examples. I think in the policy brief that you have developed, uh, you know, uh, you have included some of those examples uh, of, um, you know, the effectiveness in, in, in of lead farmer models. Yeah, we have we have done that. Yeah. yeah, but to me that also points to some some of this thing might be context specific and it, it depends on all the other elements that uh, need to be there. So, for example, in Tanzania, where I'm saying I have concerns of sustainability is because um, the FIPS Africa, which is an NGO, uh, they they build a capacity and they had a big network of these VBAs, uh, the village based uh, agro advisors uh, that they were using this is brief and the infographic that lead farmer extension agents and for many years they did um, a function and and that that was the model was running late uh, great but for last two years they have they are not no more functioning in tanzania and have left and so there's no maybe the way they exited was too quick without handing over um, their role to other entities and you know there might be some lessons learned over there but it, it's it's uh, the team of chris and david the, the entity that was supporting the lead farmers uh, you know uh, need to need to be mindful of their exit strategy and and they play a role in making sure that those models are sustainable. Yeah, thanks. I think that's, that's really true. Uh, in the case of extension, as with many other topics within development, context is so important and sure. it's so critical that we understand the context and um, see that the results do vary based on context. Um, thank you. Our next question is for Danielle Resnick. Um, Given that many people who responded to surveys and give voice to local politicians in Ghana do not prioritize spending on agricultural expenditure, but yet rely on agriculture, does this imply agricultural extension has been ineffective? Uh, no, I mean, I think, um, I mean, something to note is first, I mean, farmers, even among farmers, we had the low preferences for ag extension. But I think we have to realize that, you know, farmers have kids, so they're concerned about education. Farmers get sick, they're concerned about healthcare. So the the innovation of the design was, you know, when you're forced to prioritize, it's not a Likert scale, um, but when you're actually forced to say, if I had this amount, you know, of tax, if the assembly had this amount of money, 
um, you know, where should it go? Um, that they're, they're choosing amongst these, you know, all these competing priorities that they have for themselves and their families. Um, the other thing to note is it doesn't mean it, it wasn't effective, um, but what we did find was that and our moderator today mentioned services more were the ones who prioritized it more, and that tended to be uh, farmers who were more involved in commercial agriculture actually than than smallholder farmers. Um, so we talk in our in our work that there's kind of a um, both a vicious and a um, and a virtuous cycle going on. So those who have experienced the effects of ag extension um, see it as an important priority and they think it should be prioritized by local politicians. Those who haven't had as much access to it, um, even if they are you know, farming communities, um, tend to deprioritize it amongst all the other um, competing you know, issues that they're facing in their families or in their communities. Thank you, Danielle. Um, our next question is from Muzna Alvi at IFPRI. And this is a general question to all our panelists, so whoever feels like answering it, feel free to jump in. When targeting farmers in resource-poor settings, especially women or low-caste farmers with tenuous access to formal lending, is fixing information constraints enough? Have you found that information without resources has not been enough to affect adoption? We don't see nearly enough research that looks at relaxing information constraints with financial constraints. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's also um, something that obviously we thought about in, in um, our research. Um, but we, our study showed that just by giving women direct access to information, we did see that they already um, well made more of those decisions, also adopted more of the practices um if i am correct it was mainly like labor-based practices that uh were easily adopted then like better weeding timely planting uh the use of uh, organic um uh manure um so yeah that's possibly an indication that if you add some more resources, uh, women could even uh, do more. But we also saw that even without adding such resources, that information was enough to do something. And we did see effects on their on their yields, on the, the plots that they managed as well. So it does something. <laughs> Thank you. Um, does anyone else want to weigh in on this question as well? Uh, maybe perhaps I could just say something. Sorry about that. Pop in. I, I'm not because some other strands of PIM research that has actually looked at that question. So we had some research in Malawi and Senegal actually where we tried to at IFPRI and interestingly, it's, uh, some financial um, provision with extension. And I think they did find that it helped uh, farmers in, in certain, not in every kind of outcome they were hoping for, but in some outcomes of building assets or, or, or um, you know, connecting to, to value chains in, in these in these respective uh, uh, countries. So I think that so, but I do think it's something that has to be explored further. I think we did some further research. I think in Malawi on looking at the farmer business school model, and I think one of the feedbacks that were from came from the farmers was indeed that they learned a lot, but they didn't have the capital to put it to put the learnings to use. So those are two studies I can remember from the PIM portfolio. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Frank. Um, 
add? Is it okay to add? Yeah, go ahead, Suresh. Yeah, yeah see, ahead. from the private extension perspective, particularly, uh, there are a lot of private companies that engage with smallholder farmers. Um, and and these private extension approaches do come with the credit, uh, you know, for the farmers. So that's inbuilt uh, in their approach. So particularly when you talk about value chain and value chain based extension, this credit back in 2014. <laughs> because the buyers come in and and they want quality product to be, uh, you know, aggregated and bought, and then they want to make sure. Uh, the women uh, farmers also were producing you know get the credit and then adequate resources in terms of fertilizer and and chemicals and so on so but what happens in the small order sector where it, they are not integrated in any value chain this is a serious problem that's where we need the innovations in terms of how do we combine extension system with um before handing so how do the banks themselves the commercial banks themselves have uh, extension wing that they can actually give credit and it's it's in their own interest to expand the savings and uh, and loans operations with the smallholders and women farmers uh, but that innovation has not taken place i mean that's where we, we need kind of institutional change and regulatory mechanisms to support them uh, and and so on so the, the for example central banks can kind of give credit support to their national banks or the commercial banks to say we guarantee if you give loans to the women for example uh, that kind of mechanisms are not emerging. I mean, I, we need to talk about that, and we need to also innovate them and, and test with the research whether it works or, or not. That's that's where the uh, the question is very important that's being asked. Thank you. Thanks, Suresh. And just to add, we have another comment from uh, Claudia Ringler to add to Musnad's points. Claudia says that um, in our extension work, we realized that we could not support adoption of technologies that women could then not implement due to lack of access to financing, such as irrigation technologies. Um, thanks for that comment, Claudia. Um, I'll move on to the next question from our audience, from David Nielsen. Um, this question is again open to anyone who'd like to answer it. In many, if not most countries, agricultural advisory and extension providers operate from institutional settings that are not closely linked with educational and research institutions. This may reduce the constant flow of content for them to draw upon in their work with farmers. Decentralization might even diminish such connections to education slash research institutions. Has there been any attention to this issue? Any findings or any approaches that you will come across? I, I can take that little bit uh, because this is a chronic uh, problem, right? It's not a new problem now. Um, the speakers throughout this, Educational institutions are with the Ministry of Education. Uh, when agriculture uh, uh, work is with the Ministry of Agriculture, and even within agricultural ministries, uh, it's, it's I'm I'm placing this as an institutional problem. Particularly when we talk about uh, food systems approach, the broad uh, bringing all the sectors together. Talk about just agriculture sector where we cannot integrate one one subsector with the other. You know. So that's that's a challenge because. Um, Throughout the presentations, I encourage you to type. Particularly institutional architecture is, is like that in many of the countries. And within agriculture, the extension is with the Department of Agriculture, with the government sector, public sector. And the research is with the science and technology department, right? So the integration of that communication is also weak. Um, to, to some extent, when we talked about training and visit extension, I'm talking about 40 years back, right? When the World Bank funded training and visit extension. In fact, an innovation in that is to bring 
leaving your questions in the chat window on the right together to work together but then after the world bank funding of the training and visit extension uh, and uh, that kind of linkages kind of broke away and 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 we are not able to then bring it together one area it has worked very well is the private sector you know again uh, coming back to private sector extension where they bring in the current knowledge to the farmers directly from the research their own research as well as uh, from the research that is available at the global global level so that's that's a sign of uh, uh, integration in the value chain approach to agricultural development and let me stop yes i mean i can probably add something there yeah daniel daniel jimenez go ahead oh thank you so yeah i mean i agree with Rush. i mean it, it's happening also here in the latin american region is like public schools are usually yeah, are the ones that have that um it started with the agronomy programs for example to train extension officers right but i mean come on today we'll be talking about how to articulate extension programs with with markets for example how to talk about nutrition type in your name and organization along with the entrepreneurial spirit those are things that unfortunately are not teached now at the public schools right so something I, uh, that i've seen in the region is that the private universities are taking the lead on that because they know what that, that this is probably that there's a niche for entrepreneurship there is a niche for you know a new agriculture for using technology so they're taking advantage of it and, and to be honest i mean that's a way to work with the private sector uh, unfortunately because the public public um, institutions are not taking the lead on this Thanks, my wish yeah my wish go ahead yeah yeah so i think that's a very very uh, important point that was raised um, or a question asked um, the so to me, the, the, the farmer-led approaches are uh, a response to two types of um, shortcomings. One was one is the weak extension institutions in the country, uh, but second is also this uh, gap between research and extension, um, and uh, it, and especially the farmer-led approaches that are um, promoted or um, uh, you know initiated by private sector or NGO sector uh, are built on this um, to address that, that gap, uh, to make sure at the farm level, community level, uh, those farmers that are um, trained as leaders are connected uh, with the source of technology development. That means with theme, if possible, before posing them research that's going on in the country. So in a way, that model is sort of based to address or, or um, uh, tries to address that that shortcoming of lack of connection between uh, research and extension we see in so many developing countries. Thanks, Mayavish. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to jump in for this question? Okay. Uh, I just want to uh, say that thank you so much to our audience for putting so many great questions out there. Um, feel free to keep sending in more questions. We still have another 20 minutes where we're going to keep doing question and answers. Um, so I'll move on to the next question as you submit uh, any other questions you still have. The next question I have here is for Daniel Jimenez. On digital extension, can you say more about how digital extension can complement existing practices? Are there some good examples from any different countries? Uh, sure, thank you for the question. Uh, I, I think I can answer that moving from a specific task of extension agents and then move to a more general view of, of, of the extension programs. Like, uh, and for simple tasks, I, I have here, what I used to, when, when I, before I became a scientist, I used to work extension officer, right? So I have this attached to my belt 
And every time that I try to identify the pest, the disease or something, I use this magnifying glass, right? And I was trying to do that using this magnifying glass. It was, I don't know, it's, you probably think that I'm, I'm pretty old. <laughs> but it, it was just, you know, like probably 10, 15 years ago. And now by using a smartphone, you can do it. I mean, just using the magnifying glass, the, the app that you have there. You, I do it for even here at home with my plants to identify, to, to distinguish between uh, different insects, different pests. But we can go even be, even, um, I mean, the, 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 the apps are not only used to, to make look bigger insects or, or the different symptoms, because as I said in, um, in my intervention, uh, there are some analytic AI tools that can, for example, um, see beyond this, the, the range electrom, the long, uh, electromagnetic spectrum that the human eye can see, right? So they can do that more, in a more accurate way to determine, for example, what's the plant stress that we're facing. And I've seen many examples of that in the global south, like for example, with virus in cassava, with pests in sugarcane. But talking more broadly, like in more general aspects, um, and, if we, and, and, and if we think about the, the two big problems uh, of the extension services in, in the global south, I mean, one of them is that they leave the vast majority of farmers in, in the region behind any technical assistance. And the other- I will hand it over to the moderators. That meet the socioeconomic context of farmers. And there are many, many examples of private initiatives like Digital Green, Precision for Development, uh, the private sector, they, they are delivering context-specific information, basically taking into account what are the socioeconomic contexts of farmers in order to deliver. To you, Simran. If, if, if they cannot read, I mean, um, they, they cannot use SMS, right? But they probably can use like voice messages. Or it really depends. So I, I, I'm really happy to know now that, that it's not only about analytics and AI and all these technologies, but also like the social, the social aspect of taking into account the farmer's needs and how technology can help to leverage all of that. Thanks, Daniel. Um, the next question we have here is for Els. Building on the gender-informed study on ICDs, what is known about how well female extension officers or female lead farmers effectively enhance knowledge and adoption present an infographic as in men farmers? Yes. Um, well, our study only uh, allows saying something about extension officers in a video. So we didn't have um, real people uh, doing it. But um, the fact that there's no negative effect on man's knowledge by having a woman explaining the extension practices in the video is sort of a demonstration that that doesn't matter for um, for the knowledge of a, of a man um, after seeing that video also um, yeah not for a woman then we also uh, were able with our design to look at interactions of our treatments of women as messengers and women as recipients and there are some interesting things that we noticed there so um, women were for instance more likely to adopt practices when they alone received the information and that information was demonstrated by a woman in the video. 
So in that regard, we see that for women, it might be important that it's a woman explaining uh, to them. Um, so yeah, that, that's an answer uh, uh, there. Is what exactly is behind that? Is it, uh, yeah, a peer effect? Is it a agricultural extension over the last? That's, that, that can be different things, but those are some of the results that we have on that. Thank you. Thanks, um, The next question is another open-ended one for anyone. Um, are there topics for which extension is found to have high effectiveness and others for which effectiveness has shown to be lower? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to address that based on the experience. Basically, no studies or anything. But 10 or so years. Currently on the ground, they are trained in technical agriculture. Uh, so they are supposed to be effective in that technical agriculture. Even that doesn't happen uh, because they are not upgrading their uh, knowledge. So once you get the certificate that you are a BSc in agriculture or diploma in agriculture, you go to the field, you just play along with whatever you know. And, and with the digital technology now, there is opportunity to upgrade their knowledge quickly. But uh, the, the regions I have worked with or I'm working with, uh, the knowledge of the extension workers are very behind even in the technical areas. Um, so that's that's partly because of the issue we talked about. The research extension linkages are not tight and they are, their skills are not upgraded. Now we are talking about making them, you know, business-oriented extension people. We are talking about making them nutrition-oriented uh, extension uh, people. So you are adding more technical information to them. But then this foundational skill in terms of absorbing the knowledge, translating them into farmer, um, communicating to the farmers, the knowledge that can be communicated to the farmers is still lacking. So with the, with the, with the, even with the uh, modern uh, uh, education that we have. So we need to fundamentally look at, you know, uh, what education is teaching uh, in terms of agricultural schools, curriculum changes, and then change the system so that we are talking about this infographic possible to change the extension curriculum to meet the food systems transformation. And that's not is happening. And curriculum changing is not very difficult, you know, very easy in, in institutions. So we have to have a major effort to change what the people are studying in the colleges so that when they come out, they are new, you know, we call it extension worker for the 21st century, right? That's what we are looking at. And that, that effort has to be made. So it's, it's an important area to work on. But effectiveness, again, depends on, you know, uh, the, the research results. We probably don't have much on that. Thanks, Suresh. Um, let me invite uh, Kristen Davis to also join us um, if her internet connection permits. If my connection permits, is it fine? Can you hear we can me hear fine? You. We can hear you just fine. Yeah. Great, Thanks. great. Thanks. Um, uh, we're talking about the question um, from Lucius. Potential to improve farmer product. Yeah, we have a question from, from Lucius that is, how can an extension officer pass down technological knowledge or technical knowledge to an unlearned group of farmers, especially in areas related to climatic control? Yeah, thanks for that question. And hi, everyone. I've been listening in the background. So I think you're talking about um, maybe farmers who haven't had formal education, um, 
but I wouldn't call them um, necessarily and agricultural practices. A lot of indigenous knowledge and farmers actually have a lot of um, techniques and knowledge on how to deal with with climate issues and so forth. But this is really all about, you know, the skills and, and the, the abilities and competencies that extension officers uh, need to have to work with communities. And I think the first thing is, is to go to the communities and, and start where they are, see what they know, see what they're doing um, to solve their problems and issues, and then coming alongside them um, with knowledge from outside the community to help them solve their problems. Because I think you're referring to, you know, um, climate issues that are quite difficult and technical, excuse me, to deal with. But I think at the same time, let's start with what the farmers know and um, add what we can bring from the outside to that. Simran? Thanks, Kristen. Um, our next question is from uh, Muzna to Maywish. Um, what are some things to consider when selecting who should be a model performance at extension in law and aspirations show that when the gap between what you have and what you aspire to is too large, that may have a negative impact on effort. Similarly, if the model farmer looks too different, is richer or is a larger farmer or has more mechanized uh, approaches from the average small or marginal farmer in the village, might that actually be a deterrent for adoption? Yeah, no, good, good question or good point. Um, so I think he's income countries is an ongoing as an extension agent, I guess, um, the, the, the lead farmer that would serve that role as an extension agent. Um, so I guess there are different ways to select such a farmer, uh, at least the, some of the research I have read or, or studies I have uh, participated in, those farmers are, it's it's better to party, use a participatory approach to select the farmers and not an up, up from zone approach rather than up down approach. Uh, and in that case, you are then making sure uh, that those farmers are respected and they are using their criteria of who they consider to be a, a role model or somebody who they look up to. And um, most of the times, at least in this Tanzania study, we found uh, that most of those farmers that community selected uh, were, um, uh, you know, on that personality trait, were very outgoing. Such an extension has been an integral part. Uh, high agency, you know, all the traits you would see that makes them more likable or or people uh, connecting with them. And and they were very different uh, in those personality traits than the average farmer in the village. So you, you can see that the, the farmers, when they were given their opportunity to select that, that lead farmer, always selected the farmers that, that had some of those traits uh, consistently across the villages. Um, so uh, yeah, there is that issue that if somebody from the top up uh, comes and selects a farmer based on a criteria like how much land they own or uh, you know uh, how much they have already uh, uh, you know the, the, how progressive they are in terms of uh, uh, their adoption of technologies and things that may create um, you know that may miss some of this. Uh, um, uh, nuances of how they are viewed in the community. Uh, Kristen Davis, David Spielman, and myself. And a participatory approach. 
perhaps you could mitigate some of those uh, challenges of uh, identifying a farmer who may be so different. He may be, you know, perceived as having all the characteristics that the 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 uh, the agency that's going to implement that model is looking for, but may not be well respected or liked, or uh, maybe too different, such that uh, whatever they promote may not be, um, you know, uh, adopted or um, uh, you know considered as something uh, uh, suitable for for the other farmers. Thanks, Mavish. Else, go ahead. Yeah, I sometimes have yeah some worries about such participatory approaches which i see have their value but are they are they inclusive will will those groups will those networks be inclusive of uh, other farmers because typically yeah some people are out of networks um or some people do not have influential people in their networks so i also would uh see there's some dangers there um how how can you tackle that uh, my wish do you have a mm -hmm. yes yeah, so here uh, when you say inclusivity i mean there are def many dimensions of uh, making somebody inclusive um, um at least on the gender dimension we don't see women being excluded just because we use this approach uh but it, it is true that maybe uh you know we may not be that inclusive in terms of the spectrum of uh of um, the, the the scale of operation perhaps those farmers um, are you know more towards a little higher end uh, in terms of their um, you know resources uh, so yeah I mean there are so many dimensions of inclusivity so I don't know if you tackle one dimension you may be excluding somebody from on other dimension uh, but at least on the most obvious one from 2012 um uh, uh you know uh, at least uh in in the small study we have done i think almost 50 percent of those uh, vbas were women um and they were selected by the farmers from the village thanks my wish um we have another question from steve franzel i think this one's for me simran mentioned the high returns to investments and extension aren't most or all of the studies showing such results from the 1990s or earlier are there more recent findings and should be 2021 present priority um i'm gonna answer this question but i'll let kristen jump in as well if she'd like to add anything um i i do agree that we need to give it higher priority i think the what we need to think about is measuring the extent of the returns and not just the returns but also the cost effectiveness of different extension approaches because that's a key indicator that most policymakers want to understand, like how cost effective is this approach, especially when we think about digital, right? Because we talk about how digital has the potential for such large impacts and has could potentially have huge benefits, but there are certain like fixed costs attached to digital. And the fact that digital technologies are changing so rapidly, it's not a cost that's a one-time cost. It's gonna to have to be updated pretty frequently. So I do think that we need to give this topic higher priority and try and understand not just the size of the returns, but also how cost-effective different uh, methodologies are. Um, does anyone else wanna add anything with extension? Um, okay. I'll take one last question before we, we close. This one is from uh, Jose 
Undiraga, what is the role that extension should play with smallholders that do not fit into modernization approaches based on technological adoption because of their local realities and capacities that are different from external or expert visions of development? So basically, the question is trying to understand how we actually reach the farmers who we cannot reach with some digital technologies due to local realities and capacities. Uh, Daniel, maybe you want to take this, uh, given your experience with digital approaches. Yes, I mean, talking, you know, just thinking on the experience in, 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 in Latin America and some countries in Africa, but uh, I, I know that they're, they're and, and sorry that I insist on this human-centered design thing, right? Design thinking, because it became popular like two years ago. Uh, but, but to me, you know, those are approaches that are actually taking into account that type of concepts, right? Like, I mean, if there's someone with no internet access and is a community that, that, that cannot read, I mean, they're not literate, I mean, you can still use video or, or television, right? Or radio. Those are things that have been used for many years and are still useful. I think this, with this all digital revolution, we think that we should probably reach farmers with chatbots, which is for one is, you know, minority of farmers, you know, that can read, can have internet access. So there's a, actually Christine, she wrote a blog like in 2018 about it. And there's a table that they, they have there, you know, at the time human-centered design was, wasn't coined, but, but they basically show this table on, you know, depending on which community, which socioeconomic context, we can reach different types uh, of, of farmers. Yeah, and a review of, uh, well, digital extension that was uh, written together with Simran and David Spielman and Van Kampen out. We also looked at uh, this gender aspect and a lot of the studies are actually looking into access to uh, ICT. And that is still an issue, even um, if indeed radio and television are the most obvious ways of uh, getting access, it's still not, um, there's still a divide between, well, I focused or we focused on, on men and women. There's still a divide between women and men in accessing that kind of information. And then uh, going to uh, smartphones or phones or IVR um, things. Um, yeah, there's there's still a big gap in access to such devices and even like just um, charging your device is also uh, not necessarily equitably shared within uh, the household or within a community so yeah i think uh, access is is yeah that first hurdle that i was uh, talking about and it's a big issue uh, thank you so much uh, suresh i you have 30 seconds you just uh, uh, the enterprise level information sharing knowledge transfer we are talking about but we are moving from that also the global and, and discussion to landscape level and and broader district level kind of localized by burner and colleagues and organizing for a commodity for example export and that kind of extension preparing extension for that kind of decision making and knowledge transfer is is uh, we, we need to be thinking about uh, going beyond this enterprise level knowledge sharing and and uh, and, and I, I just want to place that as a as a future research area that requires a little bit bringing the extension from the farm level to to the community level to the landscape level that's very important thank you suresh and thank you so much to all our panelists
and to our audience members for asking such interesting questions. I think we reached almost every, we got to almost every question barring one or two. Sorry about that. We are at time now. Thank you once again, everyone. I now invite Kristen Davis to come up and give us a couple of closing remarks. Thanks, Simran, and thanks so much uh, to our panelists and also our audience for engaging uh, with us today. I think it's been a really, really interesting discussion that could go on a bit longer if we had more time. Um, but what this webinar has really been all about today is what we've been learning in almost 10 years of, of PIM research on agricultural extension and rural advisory services. So clearly we've learned a lot. I invite you to go look at the brief afterwards. I think they've um, put the link to that in the chat box. Um, first of all, oh, we saw from Dan Daniel, Danielle, <laughs> that people tend to favor visible public works projects and healthcare over ag extension because it's got this low visibility. Um, and I'm thinking, we talk about this in, in, the, in the, the PIM brief at the end too, that we as extension or extension proponents ought to be better communicators of the value of investment in extension services and back up evidence with better monitoring, evaluation, and learning systems. Steve Franzel had asked about that um, Alston et al. study, which is quite an old study that people are citing. And that was really back in the days of, of T&V when extension was a bit more uniform and not so um, pluralistic and so, so diverse. Um, there's actually a, a work going on by Paul McNamara together with IFRI and FAO Investment Center looking on economic evaluation of human capital investment, which a lot of it is extension. So he's doing a lot of review of, of different papers on returns to investment and other things of extension. Uh, evaluation of, of extension and other types of human capital development. So we can share that with you as well. Um, but extension has also got to learn to, to optimize resources and perhaps invest a bit more, you know, on the systems side rather than in, in the operations or something like that. A second learning is the importance of, you know, entrepreneurship and business skills, which can also help to engage youth in, in livelihood opportunities and so forth. But that extension staff need the right skill set to be able to teach the young people. They might not always have the right skill set. Um, and this entrepreneurial ecosystem that Suresh also talked about is important for investing in youth. In the future, extension staff are going to need new attitudes knowledge and skills. So this includes the entrepreneurialism that I just mentioned, but also things like an attitude of empathy, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of your client um, and the ability to use digital technologies to enhance your work. That's my wish. And also um, Steve talked a bit about in his questions, the lead farmer or contact farmer, volunteer farmer, village agent approach, even digital tools. These are all things that can help us to amplify the reach of extension, reach more farmers at lower costs. As Daniel said, it's not going to replace extension. Um, you still need agricultural extension, formal extension officers. You still need you know, people developing content if you're using digital tools. But when we use models like the volunteer farmer, there is a lot of variation that my wish talked about in terms of effectiveness. But at the same time, there's ways to improve the effective effectiveness of these approaches, maybe through regular training, better links to extend organizational and management capacity, understanding and targeting 
personal and community motivations of the farmers. And then finally, issues of intersectionality are going to continue to be important. So if we're targeting, you know, women or, or men, we can see some positive outcomes in the Uganda case that Elle shared. In Ethiopia, we saw, you know, targeting both men and women with video extension led to greater participation and knowledge, but not necessarily on the uptake of practices. And so we need more research to know how to reach these marginalized groups, as, as Musna was talking about in her questions. As our food systems, agri-food systems are becoming more and more complex, you know, the, the expectations of, of their contribution to development are also expanding. And to have sustainable, inclusive food systems is not going to require just greater food production and investment in nutritional areas, food safety, consumer needs, and so forth, but also improved practices, resource conservation, ethical commitments, environmental sustainability, while still maintaining economic viability. So these goals are only going to be able to be achieved when we're equipping food system actors to acquire and to share innovative technologies, knowledge, attitudes, and skills. So we basically think that agricultural extension and advisory services are going to really play and continue to play a key role in all of these processes. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone so much for, for joining us today, especially our PIM team, Evgenia, and others who've supported us to put this webinar together, our CPA team, and all of our participants today. Thanks a lot.